Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, I promise you're in the right place and you know you are. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google. Is a quote from uh, Medium.com, October 2016. Listen up. The last 10 years have been about building a world that is mobile first. In the next 10 years, we will shift to a world that is AI first. Those of you who don't know AI, check your alphabet soup. It's artificial intelligence. Yes, we talk about it all the time. And our topic today is industrial AI for intelligent, purposeful enterprises. Your enterprise may be smart. Is it purposeful yet? Are you harnessing industrial AI? That's what we're going to talk about. So let me give you a little background. Well, early adopters of AI are revolutionizing major economic sectors, and you know what they are. Come on, consumer electronics, we're talking healthcare, media and entertainment, and even defense and intelligence. A new wave of AI is here, and it promises to disrupt the older, larger manufacturing, energy, and transportation sectors. I think I've covered a lot of sectors there. And with the industrial Internet of Things, dubbed IIoT, AI models applied to complex physical systems in harsh environments uh-huh, may unlock trillions of dollars of value. If you got nothing more from that sentence, think about unlocking trillions of dollars of value, and who wouldn't want to do that? I have a panel of three experts, so pleased to have them on air with me today. And let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their introductory quotes. So in a moment, I'll be welcoming back, well, I think he's a regular guest. He's been on a lot. Paul Kachina, head of SAP America's user group. That's ASUG to those of us in the know. Welcoming Paul back. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold today. Jerry Chen is with us. He's a newcomer, business development, machine learning, and data science at NVIDIA. That's N-V-I-D-I-A, all caps, no periods, and we'll find out what his organization does. And rounding out the panel, another newcomer, Margaret Laffin. She calls herself a growth leader in SAP's Innovation Center Network for AI, Machine Learning, at SAP. So, esteemed panelists, let's get started with the opening quotes. Paul has sent us a quote from... Norman Vincent Peale, American minister, and I'm reading here, American minister and author known for his work in popularizing the concept of positive thinking, and as a matter of fact, his best-selling book was The Power of Positive Thinking. He also started a radio show called The Art of Living in 1935. This is way before internet radio, obviously. His show went on for 54 four years. And what's interesting to me is that during the Great Depression, Peel teamed up with everybody. Anybody ever heard of James Cash Penny? Well, we call him Jacques C. Penney. It's J.C. Penny, Arthur Godfrey, radio and TV personality, and Thomas J. Watson, president and founder of IBM, to form the first board of 40 plus, an organization that helps unemployed managers and executives. And Peel and his wife also founded Guidepost magazine. Here's the quote. Bonnie, get to the quote already. Paul is saying, change your thoughts and you change the world. Paul Kurchina, how have you been? Very well, Bonnie. And, and yourself? 
Very well. Thank you. Talk to me, Paul. I love the quote. I love the idea of power of positive thinking. But, you know, there was a lot of criticism from the church and from the psychiatric profession against what Peel was saying was the power of positive thinking. So we don't have to get into the controversy, but tell me how this applies to our topic today. Well, I mean, change your thoughts can definitely change things. I, I mean, in many cases, when, when I think of this quote, I, I think of um, changing one's thoughts about what is possible versus living in the past. You know, shifting your mindset as well um, to new possibilities. And, uh, you know, especially in these exponential times, um, moving from that fixed to a, a growth mindset. So, so if you me. further adopt what is mm-hmm. stated in, in this quote, um, it can't not just transform itself personally, but transforms the organizations under which uh, you belong. Okay, Paul, let's just, just do a little bit of a deeper dive, if you don't mind, before I go to sure. Jerry's and Margaret's quotes. We talk about changing organizations, changing thought processes, changing mindset. Who's? And I ask this many times on many of our other Game Changers series on, on a variety of topics, Paul. And the question is, whose mindset has to change? Is it the tippy top, the C-suite? Is it the board of directors? Is it senior leadership? Is it trickling down into middle management? Is it going down into newcomers to the workforce saying, hey, why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And trickling up. Where does this mindset have to happen in order to have this, uh, shall we say, a sea change or a major change that really revolutionizes a company, an industry, a sector? What do you think? It has to happen across the entire organization with every individual. Now, I like to say, say that, you know, as we moved into called digital transformation or the fourth industrial revolution, we get time to adjust and change between the second and third. But in between this third and fourth, um, we have to change. So this change has to be, of course, starting at the top. You know, I love the great example of, you know, Alan Mullally and what he did at Ford uh, when he came in and turned that organization around. It was really changing mindsets inside a company. And if you change mindsets, I mean, many organizations try to change behaviors. Mm-hmm. But unless you change mindsets, those changes will not stick. Thank you, Paul. Lot to talk about with you during the show. And thank you again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the panel. So sit tight for a minute. Now let me welcome one of our two newcomers, Jerry Chen at NVIDIA. Jerry, we'll find out what your company does in a few minutes when we get to the What's in Your Cup Today segment. Jerry has sent a wonderful quote from somebody named, and I have the full name, Hippolyte, H-I-P-P-O-L-Y-T-E, Jean Giraudoux, uh, 1882 to 1944. I hope I did the pronunciation right, Jerry. French novelist, essayist, diplomat, and playwright considered among the most important French dramatists of the period between World War I and II, and his first literary success was achieved through novels. I won't give you the names of the novels. And his plays got him the biggest renown in the English-speaking world because of adaptations of his plays, uh, one by Christopher Fry, The Trojan War Will Not Take Place, and Maurice Valancey, The Mad Woman of Chaillot. I think we've heard about that, Dean, The Enchanted, and The Apollo of Belak. So let me get to the quote. Only the mediocre are always at their best. Jerry, I love that quote. How are you, Jerry Chen? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Talk to me about this quote. Are you a big fan of Jean Giraudoux? Actually, to be honest, I was uh, I was actually captured by his quotes more than I was captured by the story of his life because uh, I've seen a lot of his quotes around, um, and this gentleman was really kind of a veritable generator of quotes, so he's full of them, full of all kinds of interesting, pithy statements. 
Uh, I caught, this one caught my attention. Uh, actually, it, the, the full quote is actually uh, slightly longer. It's only the mediocre are always at their best. Real leaders are always improving and raising the bar on how, they, how superbly they can perform and how quickly they can move. Um, and I, I hadn't really thought about it much um, before Paul was, was talking about his quote, but it's actually saying something that's actually kind of similar. Uh, so to me, what the meaning of this quote is that um, if, if a, a person or even an organization is trying to constantly improve, they really need to embrace change in order to improve. And uh, a byproduct of that is that uh, you're only at your best uh, sometimes when you're kind of pushing the limit of what mm-hmm. it is that you can achieve and really changing the way you think. So like I said, it's a little bit much to my surprise, but uh, it's actually got some of the similar themes that uh, Paul was mentioning earlier. Well, you know, that's what happens when you're on a live radio show and you've got smart people on the panel, Jerry. It just kind of comes full circle and you say, wow, that makes sense and that makes sense too. Jerry, it's, it's almost um, a damning way of looking at people who just keep that wheel turning. Isn't it only the mediocre? Isn't this basically saying unless you stretch, unless you grow, unless you do what we talked about with Paul, that mindset changing the world you're just always going to be really good at it because you're not going anywhere else. Do you think this is something that would have people looking in the mirror and saying, who, me? Okay, yeah, well, I don't want to be mediocre anymore. you think this will motivate people? Uh, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, it's definitely a quote that uh, kind of makes you little think twice a little bit because uh, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily obvious uh, when you first see the quote of why it is that that's the case. But, uh, yeah, I think I think hopefully the... The, the idea here is, uh, I mean, you can be a little bit even more, more pointed and, and talk about how, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, pushing yourself is going to necessarily require failure, and you can't really be afraid of that. You have to kind of embrace that, uh, because if you're constantly, if you're an expert at everything you're doing all the time, then that means you're not doing uh, something that you're not an expert on, and well, that's kind of the, the essence of trying to improve yourself and, and stretch yourself into doing new things. Thank you. I like that. I like that a lot. A good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. And you got to start yeah, all over again go. and make it best. Thank you, Jerry. I didn't think you're old enough to remember that one. Thank you for smiling at that one. And now let's bring on Margaret Laffin. And she has sent us a quote from Max Planck. Full name, Max Carl Ernst Ludwig Planck. FRS, German theoretical physicist. He discovered energy quanta. I'll tell you about that in a second. Earned him the Nobel Prize in physics back in 1918. He made contributions to theoretical physics, but his fame as a physicist is primarily for his role as the originator of what we call the quantum theory, which revolutionized human understanding of atomic and subatomic processes. Margaret has selected this quote from Max Planck. When you change the way you think about things, the things you think about change. Okay, I think we're in a circular reasoning here. Margaret Laffin, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. Uh, I love this quote. Uh, It really speaks to me on many different levels, and it's something that I use very often, uh, both personally and professionally, especially at times when, you know, there's times of change. And there's depth and breadth of thinking required regarding, you know, a crossroads I'm at in terms of my thought process and needing to extend it further. And clearly, we can see here from, from Max, he was a very accomplished individual and really thought differently about things in order to, to win the Nobel Prize in physics. So um, for me, this is something that I use as a mantra um, when I'm thinking about how I challenge myself to address something in different ways. Um, I love this quote, especially as it relates to industrial AI, because this is a time of great change for us. 
it's a time of thinking very differently about how it is that we see the future, how it is, what is going to change around what we're working on today. And for me, with a quote like this, you offer yourself um, many tools in order to allow yourself to think differently about the path that we're going to set moving forward. And it really presents a lot of choices in it as well for you as an individual to think about um, our current thinking and how we can change the way we think in order to think differently about moving forward. So, uh, yeah, th- this, is, this is a very popular quote of my mindset. Thank you very much, Margaret. I'm intrigued that the, I have to tell our audience that we don't sit around a table and say, okay, what quote are you going to pick, Margaret? Jerry, what quote do you want? Paul, what quote do you want? And have them all pick quotes on the same theme. But it's interesting that they they certainly did relate to changing in thoughts. So that has to be the underpinning of our topic. Again, we're talking about industrial AI for intelligent, purposeful enterprises. Let me just go around the panel quickly before I get to the what's in your cup today segment, and we'll have Jerry talk about it. And I want to ask you, intelligent, purposeful enterprises, if we asked, I'm not going to say the average company, but if we just went to people in various uh, of the sectors that I mentioned in the opening, I was talking about defense and intelligence, consumer electronics, healthcare, and then I talked about manufacturing, energy and transportation sectors. If we went to some of the biggest game players, shall we call them, and said, is your enterprise intelligent? Is it purposeful? And if they scratched their head and said, hmm, I'd like to think so, but I'm not sure. Do you think they would take to heart some of the quotes the three of you have shared and said, I think we need to change how we're thinking about this? Paul, what's your thought? I would say that's, in essence, almost a movement that companies are, are on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to a lot of people, a lot of different corporations. And the same things are being discussed. You know, how can we you know, get in essence, be a more intelligent enterprise. Um, how can we make a difference in what we're doing? And, you know, they're not, what's interesting, they're not just talking about these aspects from, you know, applying these new, latest, greatest technologies, but they're talking about how they can also transform the individuals inside their organizations um, for this new era that we're in. Thank you very much. Do you think they sit around the campfire and talk about this? Do you think the C-suite goes on retreats and they say, are we an intelligent enterprise? Yeah, we're all smart people. We must be intelligent. But are we purposeful? Well, what does that really mean? Do we have CSR, corporate social responsibility programs? Do you think it's something that keeps them awake at night, Paul? Oh, definitely. And, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of examples of, you know, a lot of leading organizations that it's not just about the bottom line anymore. Um, It's how it will make an impact. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table to Jerry Chen and NVIDIA. Jerry, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think it's keeping them awake at night? Do you think they're saying, well, of course we're smart. Of course, that must mean we're intelligent. Purposeful? Well, we'll do a little bit this year. Let's see what our stakeholders, our shareholders say. Let's see what happens with our stock. Let's see if millennials want to work for us. Do you think it's a wait and see or do you think it's more proactive? Jerry? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the business leaders that I've interacted with – are they're, they're ultimately they're they're driven by a lot more of a pragmatic need from a business perspective, and they see the drivers and they see the trends and they they're trying to respond to them as best they can. Uh, I don't think, um, from my perspective, I don't think most of them are jumping in in order to become uh, to think of themselves or define themselves as an intelligent enterprise. They just end up there because mm. the, the business and the economic forces are forcing them to get there, um, and I think maybe. It, it could be a little bit of a self-selection problem because if I'm uh, sort of interacting them with uh, 
uh, more of a, an in-depth, in-depth discussion, it's likely that uh, it's because they've already kind of gotten over that hump and they already see a vision. And uh, the discussion is more about, uh, okay, how do we bridge this gap? How do we get from here to there? And, uh, and, and whether uh, and me and the, and the teams that work with me are able to kind of help them get there. Thank you, Jerry. Very, very thoughtful. Margaret, I think we have a couple of different approaches here. Where do you, what side of the fence are you on? Or talk to me. What do you think? Well, I, I absolutely would think that uh, and say that customers are thinking about this on, on a daily basis, and it absolutely is keeping them up at night, and for many different reasons, um, certainly from a, you know, looking at a competitive advantage, like how do you stay ahead? How do you stay on top of the current developments in technology in order to help you run your business? you know, better or optimize your business processes and to stay agile. And that's certainly most uh, top of mind for, for everybody in the company and most especially at the C-suite who are making decisions. And I would also say as well that as we see um, technology advancing at such speed uh, these days and understanding better what we can do with it, we're really seeing areas that we can apply this to the enterprise. And there's different um, speeds of thought around it. I would certainly, you know, I speak to global um, customers on a daily basis, and we really see pockets of uh, different thinking on it from Asia, from Europe, from North America. But most definitely, when we're thinking about industrial AI and, and a purposeful enterprise, it is top of mind for people in terms of how they understand this and then the type of shift that they can make in their business to adjust and, and bring purpose into the business as well. Bonnie, Thank can I you, have Mark. one thing to, to yes, that? Yes, of course. Sure. Um, you know, you referenced 10 years, uh, uh, what's changed the last 10 years. Well, as I reflect back to 10 years ago, I think more industries were siloed. You know, utilities would talk to utilities, oil and gas would talk to oil and gas. And I think in today's world, those silos are gone in a way. Companies are more so looking on a constant basis to what's happening in other sectors mm-hmm. and thinking in their world in a different way. Thank you very much. So there's the. Go ahead, Margaret. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah Bonnie. In. I was I was adding into Paul's comment there because you know we also see that the ecosystem is changing too. So adding to what Paul says, how we relate and integrate with each other um, in terms of company to company, B to B, business to our customers, all of that is changing, and there's different expectations that come with that. So it certainly requires you know folks to to have this top of mind. Interesting. So it's like a peer mentality, perhaps, in, in the industry, in the sector, whatever you want to say. And certainly with social media, we are all very aware of what other people, other companies are doing on an almost moment-by-moment basis. So it's no, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that. When did they cook that up? When did they come out with that new product line? When did they come out with that new CSR? It's it, You see about it. You hear about it. We know everything. Information overload. I rest my case. Let's circle around to Paul Kerchina. This is finally the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today, Paul? Love to know two things. Number one, where are you calling from? Yes, I ended a sentence with a preposition. Tsk, tsk. And what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? If it's not in front of you, tell me what you'd rather be drinking. Paul? Well, I live in Calgary, but I'm actually at an event in Montreal, Canada today. Um, And what's in my cup? I have my uh, green tea latte. I'm kind of bummed, though, because I had to settle for three pumps of classic syrup instead of my three usual pumps of raspberry. But I'm doing okay. 
<laughs> I hope you will survive. Oh, my goodness gracious. Thank you very much. And I hope you're having a good trip in Montreal. I was at the Expo 67. Oh, am I dating myself in Montreal many, 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 many years ago. I was, I was of course, three years old. We will just go with that. Thank you very much, Jerry Chen. First of all, before we find out where you are and what you're drinking, Jerry, we'd love to know a little bit about your company, N-V-I-D-I-A, all caps, no periods, as I said in the opening, NVIDIA. What do you do, Jerry? Uh, yeah, so I'm responsible for business development for AI and industrial applications. And me and the folks uh, that uh, work with me are responsible for going out and uh, engaging with uh, customers that that sort of have this at the front of their minds, and then at uh, least these people are driven by trying to get to an AI-driven world on a daily basis. And I'd also say we're responsible for helping to build up the supporting ecosystem in order to enable those customers to achieve that goal. And uh, I think in the end, we have to approach this from a humble perspective. It's not just uh, NVIDIA that's going to deliver these solutions to the end market, but it's also it's a combination of NVIDIA and also our ecosystem partners that are going to help to... Uh, bring uh, these kinds of end solutions to market. And so that kind of explains how I'm here and why I'm interacting with uh, a broader segment of the SAP organization over time. Thank you. Now, where are you and what do you love to drink that makes you feel at your best? Jerry? All right, sure. Uh, so uh, I uh, live and I uh, most of the time I work in Northern California where our headquarters is in Santa Clara. Uh, at the moment, I'm in a town called Sunnyvale. Um, the, mm-hmm. the the drink that I actually really like lately is uh, this uh, a funny drink that uh, my wife introduced me to, actually, called pulled tea. Uh, I, I was born and grew up in the U.S., but my wife uh, grew up in uh, Southeast Asia and Malaysia and Singapore. And there's this uh, fantastic tea that they make that's a mix of this kind of local bitter tea and uh, and uh, condensed milk. And uh, the process of making the tea, actually, is, a, is a sort of a little show where uh, the, the person who's making the tea is actually um, pouring the, the, the mixture from cup to cup. And they'll, they'll make a show of it and kind of pour it kind of like over their heads and when they're spinning around. So it actually creates this visual effect like they're actually pulling the tea like taffy, even though it's liquid anyway. So I'm drinking ah. right now a, kind of a, a, an instant equivalent of that right now, but it uh, doesn't quite compare to the, uh, to the local version in Southeast Asia. Well, I have a feeling that you're talking about uh, Tatarik, T-E-H-T-A-R-I-K. That's it. I, hey, I don't know if I told you, but I'm pretty good on these lookups while we're live on the air here. So Tatarik <laughs> in Wikipedia says, literally, pulled tea is a hot milk tea beverage commonly found in restaurants, outdoor stalls, and kopi TMs within the Southeast Asian countries of Malaysia and Singapore. Its name is derived from the pouring process of pulling the drink during preparation made from black tea, blah, blah, blah. But there are videos all over the web, Jerry. Uh, they have a on a YouTube here, a Tatarik Pull Tea Expert, and we have one on the a recipe on YouTube showing exactly how it's made. One with Wok and Skillet. Wokandskillet.com is the website. They have a video as well. And then they have one called The Tea Twister, The Science Behind Tatarik. So there, anybody can go and look at these. Thank you. I have to tell you, Jerry, six years, probably 200 shows a year, that's 1,200 shows, average three people on the panel, do the math, and nobody has ever talked about pulled tea. So I think we're <laughs> going to give you the award for original drink. I don't know what Margaret's going to say. Margaret, there's no competition here, but it's always delightful when we find something that's that interesting. Thank you, Jerry. Margaret Laffin, we'd love to know where are you today and what do you love to drink? 
I am dialing in from, you know, soon-to-be sunny California here in Silicon Valley. So uh, it's, it's breaking day a bit beyond that now at this stage. And I am drinking a nice, warm, flavorful cup of chai. And uh, this is homemade every, every day, so I was very curious about how Jerry makes his tea. Um, my husband and I make this tea every morning, so we get a couple of scoops of loose black tea, put it in a pot... We uh, use a pestle and mortar and ground some uh, cardamom oh. pods and put wow. that in. Then we grind, uh, we, we grind some ginger into it and then add in a bit of water, boil it up, put in some milk, add uh, agave for sweetness, and then we strain it into our cups and we have a nice, fine, warm, uh, flavorful cup of chai, which is quite soothing and gets us really going for the morning. So not as intense as Jerry's tea, which sounds great, and I'm going to check it out, but uh, I, I stick to this every day. <laughs> it sounds lovely. And by the way, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, so I'm not allowed to have coffee today because it's live radio early here, 10 a.m. So all I'm allowed to have is cool, clear water. I've got a little bit of a cough, so that's helping me a lot, along with a nice cherry-flavored cough drop. But I have to tell you, I was in New York this weekend, did a whirlwind of the city. I was a media guest at the National Publicity Summit, where I interviewed almost 50 new authors. And for my personal radio show on Monday nights, Read My Lips, I booked uh, 36 people to fill the next six months of interviews on that show. But I went with a friend to a place on Restaurant Row 46th Street, and it was called Bourbon Street. And my friend wanted a beer. Well, they only had six beers, nothing very interesting. And we asked the waiter, and he said they were the second largest purveyor of a variety of whiskeys in the entire United States. They had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bottles of whiskey. So I guess the lesson is when you go into a restaurant in a bar called Bourbon Street, don't ask for beer. Lesson learned. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And here I am with my water. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I guess I forgot to say that at the beginning of the show, but the nice man who introduced me did. We're talking to three very interesting people, Paul Kachina at ASUG, Jerry Chan at NVIDIA, Margaret Laffin at SAP. Our topic today is industrial AI for intelligent, purposeful enterprises. But we made a little segue about what does it take to become an intelligent, purposeful enterprise separate from the technology. Well, it takes a mind shift. It takes people at all levels of the organization, but perhaps mostly at the top, listening and looking at what's happening in your industry, your sector, with your competitors. What's happening? What are the shifts? Where do you need to take your company? We're going to take this show to a quick break, 90 seconds. I need to take a quick sip here and clear my throat, and we're going to give Jerry and Paul and Margaret a chance to sip something interesting, and we'll come back and do a deep dive into our topic roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Organizations that act with purpose can impact the greater social world. In doing so, they can also improve their bottom line, boost morale among employees, find it easier to attract top talent, and overall, make the world around them a better place. 
Purpose is everywhere, and we will help you align your organization to move forward with renewed purpose and vigor, enabling it to thrive in the short term and long term. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how purpose-driven organizations can lead to a better present and future for everyone. Game Changers with Purpose is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changers with Purpose. Welcome back. We're talking about what's happening with AI and the mindset of changing companies for the better industrial AI, to be specific. Paul Kerchina, Jerry Chen, and Margaret Laffin are my three esteemed and very smart panelists. Paul's going to start the roundtable. Here's what Paul told me before the show. He has a case study. He says, a global mining company has been doing many things with AI, artificial intelligence, including deploying a fleet of self-driving trucks to haul payloads nonstop at a cost 15% less than human drivers. Let's just go with that. Paul, tell us more about the case, please. Sure. You know, I know it's interesting. I was a mining customer and utility customer for, for many, many years, and so I got to talk to the leading mining companies around the world. And, you know, it's the last number of years we've heard all this talk about self-driving cars. Well, it's interesting talking to my friends at this mining company. Um, they were dealing with self-driving 270-ton Caterpillar trucks in the middle of Australia many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. They struggled to even pay people enough to want to work in these desolate areas of, of Australia. So they've gone from these early um, testing these trucks to having fleets of, you know, um, almost 100 trucks that are there self-driving. Um, and the interesting, you know, just a little side note about it, uh, these trucks drive with such precision on the roads, they learn something. When you drive exactly the same route on these roads all the time, what happens? You wear ruts in the roads. So by learning over time and observation, they learned they had to vary the paths of these trucks. So they did not all drive the same and wear ruts in these roads. And they've extended beyond the, the trucks to trains, not just hauling ore, but also to self-load and unload automatically. So, I mean, it's tremendously the, the value that, uh, that they've been gaining from this. Um, but cascading this even further to using AI um, to manage, you know, if you think about this massive fleets of machinery across the board and generating from this as all... Um, you know, massive amounts of data that their people do deeper analytics to uncover more insight, not just improve the efficiency of their operation, but make things much safer as well. Thank you very much, Jerry Chen. What do you think? 
Yeah, uh, actually, I love this example for uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. So the the main reason is I love it when uh, some some form of automation or some form of AI gets deployed in these uh, this kind of uh, dirty, gritty industries. Uh, I'm a former mechanical engineer myself, so I mm-hmm. love it when uh, when we're not thinking about AI and these kind of new and, and sexy new industries, but all but these uh, kind of old style industries that have been around with us for a long time. Uh, but the other reason why I like this example is that um, I, I think this uh, highlights. Uh, a very, a very um, illuminating case where that if you bring enough automation to any any complex system, uh, number one, you're going to end up um, sort of uh, building in these artifacts in the system. Like in this case, sort of this the fact that you're kind of wearing these ruts into the road because automation, every, all the automation is doing exactly the same thing. And I think these kinds of artifacts do happen, and uh, they actually can be problematic. Um, and the other thing uh, is that uh, I think um, in, in, a, in a world where AI is being deployed in these large-scale industrial systems of systems, you really have to have systems that are able to self-optimize in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from a kind of a, if I, if I look at it from a little bit of a mathematical perspective, you need things to be sort of constantly finding and uh, its own uh, optimization path, even if that means uh, not doing the same thing that has happened before. Are not doing the same thing that uh, that other instances of the AI in the fleet of assets are doing. You need to actually increase or, or expect that there's a certain amount of variability. In fact, you might even want to inject a certain amount of stochastic variability in order to allow this complex system of systems to find uh, kind of a local optimization path. So I think I think that this actually uncovers that I kind of suspect we'll be playing with as uh, throughout the course of this talk. Thank you very much, Jerry. Margaret, we'd love to get your thoughts. What do you think about what we're talking about, this particular case study in AI and, and uh, changing? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I've thought about this, uh, actually, this case study a lot, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a different uh, viewpoint on this. You know, my background is in political science, and mm-hmm. so I really focus on the other things that happen beyond the technology advancement and all the good stuff there. So this one makes me really think a lot. Um, and for many different reasons, you know, um, I applaud the developments in the technology, and I really think it's incredible that we're thinking about self-driving trucks and self-driving autonomous cars and, like, what that is generating in itself um, as an industry and how it's changing our behavior and, and all that good stuff. And then when I think about this also, I, I think about where it's leaving people and the type of positions that it's in. So if you think across the states and uh, now that we have driverless trucks, Think about the fewer people that are going to be stopping at, you know, truck stops or diners or staying in motels and all of that. So this is uh, where, you know, leading with my quote at the start around changing the way we think about things and, uh, and having to think about how that will impact the industry and the changes that can be made there. And what can be done in the short term, I think, is very fascinating to me. Um, you know, it gives a great opportunity to start working with, you know, truck drivers now around education programs and uh, different, you know, opportunities that they might want to move on for. Or, you know, looking at the ecosystem across the states and in other countries and thinking, talking to small business owners around, you know, how their business is going to shift and how they work with it. So, you know, we know these changes are coming and we certainly see it. And this is a great case where you can get ahead of what that impact will have on people and get ahead of that change. And, you know, you really can change up the conversation instead of, you know, waiting for things to progress to a point that it's harder to start thinking differently and are, or we might find ourselves in a reactive world. So, um, again, applaud the technology. I love it. 
um, you know, autonomous vehicles. I cannot wait for, you know, mobility as a service. And I may not even have a car anymore. And it does so many great things for the environment and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm also an eye out to the ecosystem and how that's going to change and, and what's required in order to help it move forward as well. Thank you, Margaret. All really good comments. Paul, I'm going to jump over to a statement from Jerry, if that's okay with you, rather than wrapping it up, because I want to make sure we cover a lot of territory. Paul, you good? Most, most definitely. Okay, thank you, Jerry Chen. I'm going to combine a couple of statements from your notes here, Jerry. They're all about productivity. Let me just throw these out on the table and have you explain them, and then we'll ask Margaret for her input as well as Paul. So Jerry says, everybody knows manufacturing jobs in the U.S. have declined over the past three decades, but surprisingly, manufacturing output has nearly doubled. Then he adds, in the most recent five years, manufacturing productivity growth has been nearly stagnant. Now, here's a quote from 1987 from Robert Solow, S-O-L-O-W. You can see the computer age everywhere, but in the productivity statistics. Jerry, can you explain this for us, please? Yeah, sure. So um, the quote from uh, Robert Solow, that's also been called the productivity paradox, and that's this idea that we're constantly introducing this uh, fantastic new technologies that are supposed to increase our productivity. But if you actually look at it from an economic perspective, uh, the evidence has been so far suggesting that uh, when new technologies are introduced, uh, it actually doesn't uh, impact the productivity uh, of, the, of, the, of the economy until quite a bit down the road. And, and so the question is, why, why does this happen? And, and you can actually see this if you look at a couple of these inflection points in, uh, in economic and manufacturing history. So, so introducing computers was one thing. It took a while for that to start to show up uh, in the data. Uh, even introducing um, electric power uh, early, in the, early in the 20th century or late in the 19th century, actually, that took nearly 50 years to start to change or start to sort of affect the, the output of the economy. And so the question is, why, why does that happen? What's going on here? And I, I think, from the best that I can tell, and this is definitely something that, uh, that I'm happy to hear other people's uh, input on, I think what happens is that when you introduce um, a new technology, whatever it might be, the first thing that people do is they, they, they embark on uh, a form of incremental thinking. Like they think about what they currently do, and they just think about how, how I can um, gradually improve that by applying the new technology. Uh, so one example of that, uh, from, from what, I, what I mentioned earlier, when electric power became available, People were still buying uh, these, essentially these steam-driven um, drive shafts and powering their manufacturing plants with them, uh, and they weren't trying to think about how they, this could actually, this technology that could deploy sort of a wide number of uh, electric motors throughout the throughout the factory floor. They kept building their factories around this singular enormous drive shaft because uh, the efficiency of a steam engine that was on site. Was, um, was efficient only at a certain scale. And so they weren't really rethinking what they did. They were just trying to slowly improve what they were already doing. And I, and I think that's why this happens, this, this, this sort of lack of productivity improvement, is people don't transform the way they think. They don't, they don't fundamentally question the way that things are done in their current business until they think about it a little bit more. It takes a certain amount of time for people to suddenly realize, okay, well, with this new technology, if I build things up from scratch... I would actually approach it from a fundamentally different way, and that's where you see these enormous growths in productivity, or at least that's where people hope that they would actually see that. 
Thank you, Jerry. Very thoughtful. Margaret Laffin. Thoughts on what Jerry introduced? I know you have something to say from your background. Go ahead. <laughs> I always have something to say, Bonnie. And yeah, I really <laughs> like the, the framework with which Jerry presents that here because, you know, you know, we certainly see this as, you know, we see AI creeping in and, and we're embarking on that in the enterprise space. And, you know, really there's a lot of things that, you know, they slowly improve because understanding the technology and its impact and trust in the results that it's working on all takes some time. And especially in today's environment when we're moving so fast and the technology is advancing at such a quick rate and we're thinking about it as it applies to the enterprise, um, we also know that, you know, what we're looking at needs time to mature. And we need time to adjust to the impact of, you know, bringing automation into our workflow, for example, or into business processes what that means to us from a day-to-day basis. You know, you're going to have to let some things go and you're also mm-hmm. going to have to trust how, you know, algorithms are being developed out at some point um, and look at their results and, and see that behavior as it's learning and improving and monitor that as well to make sure that you have the level of confidence and comfort that you have. And, and all of that takes uh, time. It doesn't happen just with the flip of a switch or overnight. So, um, certainly, I can see that it, in the short term, can slow down productivity. And then as, you know, we become more comfortable with technology advancements and we become more comfortable with how uh, we see this in our day-to-day work, um, we're able to, you know, move on. And, and, you know, we can think about this, you know, how many people, you know, topics of conversation were around, you know, Amazon Alexa, for example, when it was first introduced and, you know, concerns and queries and how does it work and all that great stuff that comes with it. And, uh, you know, people trying to understand the technology better um, to the point where we are today where, you know, people can be very comfortable having this in their house and, you know, engaging with it and interacting and having it add value in different ways. So, um, you know, we, we see a point where the technology is maturing, but it's early stages and certainly looking at industrial AI, it's going to take some time for this to, uh, you know, filter across and help people um, understand the changes that it means for them. Thank you, Margaret. Paul Kachina, let's go around the table to you. Thoughts? You know, and I think more companies, um, Jerry talked about um, in the past, incremental change. Um, I think more and more companies are, are starting to think, you know, what if I was able to start with a clean slate? You know, what would I do differently if I had no constraints? You know, how can I think differently? I'm amazed the number of companies, and Margaret and Jerry, you see at the number of these industrial organizations that just stream through Silicon Valley or even set up their innovation outposts, right? to just totally put themselves in a different place. So to rethink their organizations, you know, one sector that I've seen them lately, um, I'm in Calgary, big oil and gas town. Um, you know, price of oil isn't what it once was, but I'm amazed to see these oil and gas companies, um, just how they're, how they put it, when the money was flowing and the price of oil was $100 or whatever it was, um, they were not as near focused as they are now on, on truly innovation and doing things in a totally different way. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to move on. Good conversation. Jerry, this was yours. Do you mind if I move on? You okay? Of course. Yeah, Thank you very much. You're all very amenable and affable, and I appreciate that. Margaret Laffin, I'm seeing some themes here in your notes before the show. Let me read a couple of, I think, very provocative statements here. And with your background in political science, I know you'll have a lot to say. Number one, you say, according to Kathy O'Neill in Weapons of Mass Destruction, we live in the age of the algorithm. 
where increasingly decisions that affect our lives are not being made by humans, but by machines. That's the first one. Second statement is industrial AI could be viewed as a threat to equality and employment. And number three, science fiction books, movies, and TV series are presenting at times what can be viewed as a disturbing future with AI at the core. I thought those would make an interesting theme for you to talk about, Margaret. What do you think? Good? Yeah, well, uh, very good. And uh, um, by the way, I'm a cautious optimist, right? So <laughs> on, on the negative path here, but, you know, I absolutely believe that there are many different ways to talk about industrial AI and, and its impact, um, both uh, in business and in our personal lives as well. And, and really having that conversation and, and opening up the opportunities for people to voice what their, you know, concerns are, what they see mm-hmm. as challenges but also present the opportunities that come out too. I think it's extremely important for us now more than ever to be, you know, very open to, to this discussion. And there's a lot that you can, um, you can pull into this. And, you know, each of those topic statements in themselves, Bonnie, are, are a very big uh, topic to itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I might look to address uh, them in small points, and then I'd love to hear sure. uh, both Jerry and, and, and Paul's points as well. Um, Go for it. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, certainly when I was reading Kathy O'Neill's book on weapons of math destruction, you know, she has a great opening story around a teacher who, you know, unfortunately lost her job based on decisions that were coming back from an algorithm um, that was having certain um, outputs provided to, sorry, certain outputs that, you know, were not favorable to her teaching style and what have you. And really with this individual's case, they were trying to understand better, you know, the, the data that was behind the algorithm and what was generating why it was generating the type of result that it had. And, you know, this brings us into a very important discussion in the age of industrial AI, which, you know, as I I would argue is, you know, 95% machine learning and machine learning is made up of, uh, for a large part, many different algorithms. And there's also other wonderful things you can do with it around um, computer vision and also natural language processing and conversational AI there and all that good stuff. But it does bring up a fundamental question, which is around transparency into how algorithms are being created and an understanding into what type of data is being used in creating those algorithms. And then, of course, um, what the output of that is and decisions that are made out of it. Um, we know from a legislation and a regulatory perspective, we have GDPR that's been introduced in Europe mm-hmm. and that's going to have an impact as well around transparency into these algorithms and people having to account for how it is that they have, you know, come up with the certain decisions based on the data that they've inputted. So for me, that in itself is a very interesting topic. And, you know, there's a lot of accountability um, into that as well, which is important for companies and for people to understand what that means for them. And, you know, on an individual basis, if you get rejected for a loan, you know, it might be an algorithm in the background or you can guarantee there is um, that's put out a certain diameter, the parameters that, that, end in that result. So that's definitely one, one uh, topic to think about in, in great extent. If we move it into, you know, the second statement, Bonnie, there around industrial AI being viewed as a threat to equality and employment, um, there's many figures. So a short statement on this, there's many numbers and statistics out there that we can read around, you know, 20 million jobs being created, 40 million jobs being displaced type um, discussions that are there. And I'm exaggerating in some of these numbers, but they are on mm-hmm. a pretty high basis. And I often think about what is behind that. You know, what does that actually mean? Because the numbers are big, but the thought behind it and and how it's going to change our day-to-day work um, 
it's, that's very interesting to me and how fast or how slow that will happen. And, you know, it gives us an opportunity here to really think about the world that we're going to live in in the future and the type of jobs that we can, you know, that we can be doing in that. And, um, you know, there's, there's a great link on, uh, the, on Business Insider from late last year, which looks at, you know, the 21 wonderful weird jobs that you can be doing when robots take over the world. And so I'd, I'd highly recommend people have a look over there to get uh, creative around some of these things and they can learn about, you know, a personal memory creator, for example, or um, a person machine teaming manager. So, you know, someone who's assessing the abilities of the robots and the abilities of skill sets of the humans working and, you know, build out these super teams with both together. Um, definitely in my world, you know, for AI, there will be a business development manager because, you know, AI doesn't sell itself or certainly that's what we're going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's opportunity there. So there's many ways to think about that topic. But, you know, within that, there's also great opportunity for us to really shape up how it is that we want to move forward. Um, the final comment I would say, you know, it's the last statement on science fiction books, movies, and, you know, the disturbing view that's being built with um, AI at its core. Um, there's definitely a lot of, like, visual um, um, movies and, you know, visual stimulation that we have around what our future world could look like. And I feel we're very, very, very far away from all of that. And, you know, some of this, as I said, can be quite disturbing. So for Every movie or, or TV show that I watch uh, that can have a disturbing view, I, I read around two or three good things about what AI uh, for good is doing in the world. And, you know, there's an AI for Global Good Summit that's taking place that really looks at, you know, many different ways that we can help in, you know, leverage AI in, for example, the refugee crisis. You know, obviously not coming from, you know, a good place in terms of how it was created, but definitely looking at opportunities around, uh, you know, building out a chatbot, for example, to integrate with, uh, to engage with uh, refugees on a daily basis and offer um, counseling levels. Um, There's many other great examples that we see for, you know, down in Stanford University in their medical faculty. You know, they're working on a lot of um, imaging uh, test cases and that, and they're opening up the algorithms that they're creating and the learnings from this to uh, the ecosystem so that others can view these and leverage them in, you know, their own uh, algorithms or decisions that they're building out as well. And so there's many different things that we see where, you know, there's very good things coming and there's a lot of excitement being generated in the industry as well around, you know, a different way to shape how we move forward. Thank you, Margaret. And you know what? We have to move forward because we have five minutes left and I have to move into the predictions round. It's time for the crystal ball. Or as my engineer Aaron says to me, let's make it a disco ball segment, Bonnie, not a crystal ball. Because I haven't owned a disco ball, a big one. Okay, so Paul Kerchina at ASUG, instead of commenting on Margaret's comments, although you may, I'm going to give you uh, just a quick, very tight 90 seconds for your prediction. What's coming down the pike on, in industrial AI for intelligent, purposeful enterprises Paul Kachina at ASUG, go ahead. Well, one important, you know, it's interesting. I attended an event about in mid-February called, it was by the Institute for the Future. It was called um, uh, Future Skills Get Fit for What's Next. And, you know, I was reminded one of the, the super skills they talked about was befriend machines, you know, really mastering uh, human-machine collaboration. And I think... Um, with all these amazing capabilities um, that are coming with AI and these other technologies, what's really key is us to master that capability of working with machines. Um, You know, you'll need to know how to assemble teams of humans, robots, and bots to get them all to work together. You know, you'll have different AI assistants 
that you need to know how to tap their intelligence to really do more, to accomplish more things that you could never do before. So I think in this human machine path um, will you know take us to whole new places um, where these digital worlds where we'll mix learning, working, and playing um, to, in essence, create these new futures um, for us. So I think that's one thing I, I'm, I'm most excited about um, as we look forward. Thank you, Paul, very much. And let's move to Jerry. Jerry, oh, I've got 90 seconds for you. Go ahead. Um, I guess uh, one thing I'd say is uh, my prediction is that uh, ultimately we'll, uh, in a similar theme as Paul, I think ultimately uh, we'll learn as humans, we'll learn from the AIs that are deployed uh, to, that we're working hand-in-hand with. Um, But we've actually already seen many examples of this in a lot of the, a lot of the cutting-edge research. Uh, And I I I know we have a little bit of time, but just really quickly, uh, so... um, uh, this was, there was a lot of uh, big news made in 2016 when uh, an AI was able to beat the world's uh, top Go player. Uh, and it was actually interesting to look at uh, the history of those games where the Go um, AI was actually um, making moves that common wisdom was telling you that it shouldn't make. And yet in the end, it turned out that those were good moves. Um, and uh, that kind of pushes the humans that, are, that were kind of uh, playing the game with them. And I think in a similar way, that's going to happen to us uh, in an automated uh, in- industrial environment. Thank you very much, Margaret. I have I have 90 seconds for you, too. Go ahead, Margaret. Great. Well, the great thing about being human is that, you know, we're fast learners and we adjust fast to changes as well. Mm-hmm. And what I certainly see moving forward is that, you know, things are going to happen in changes, you know, in stages. Um, over the next number of years, we're going to see a lot of um, – AI, you know, mature, and we're going to, you know, really learn and interact very quickly with that, and we'll also change up um, how we do things and, and what have you. What I see taking some time, though, is things like regulations, and that may slow down some of um, how fast it is that we move forward. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say that we'll be at a complete intelligent end-to-end enterprise, for example, in the next two to three years. I think it will take a bit longer than that, um, given that there's so many other things that will happen. Um, R&D will continue to do um, absolutely fantastically. I, I certainly think that in the research area that we, in five to ten years' time, we're going to be talking about things that we're not even talking about now. We haven't even thought them up now. And that's the really wonderful thing about um, about the future and where it is. So, you know, and, and thinking, you know, 20 years out, well, you know, we're all going to be thinking and we're all going to be still, you know, looking at what the next future is going to bring us as well. So I'm very excited um, about I, what's I going to be coming ahead. I hope so. I love the optimism. Thank you, all three of you. What a good conversation, Paul Kachin at ASUG. Always a pleasure. Jerry Chen and NVIDIA, Margaret Laffin and SAP. Pleasure to add you to the panel today. I'll be back tomorrow live. It's Wednesday. Oh, my. Oh, happy May Day to everybody. Can you believe it's May? Oh, my, where has 2018 gone? It's just barreling That's ahead. Fly by too fast. I wonder if AI is making it go faster than last year or the year before. I don't know. Maybe I'm very suspicious. Anyway, tomorrow, a coffee break with Game Changers Live, 11 a.m. Eastern, May 2nd, and we'll be talking about smart cities and lighting, smart lighting. You light up my life, part four. Very interesting panel. I won't tell you who they are. Just tune in right here on the Business Channel, 11 a.m. And I want to do a shout-out to Brad Borkin at SAP, who's the sponsor of this series. And by the way, if you're curious about Game Changers with Purpose, it is a spin-off of our other series, Brad's series, 
future of the future with Game Changers. But purpose is so popular, we wanted to make sure we had a special focus on that for shows like this. So thank you again, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Paul Kerchina, just like Jerry Chen, and just like Margaret Laffin. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. And thank you to Aaron, our intrepid engineer at World Talk Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.